Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Recording. Okay, great. So... Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Discover North Korea. Um, I'm going to dive straight in today because we've got, um, obviously, some very special guests uh, on the podcast, and I don't want to waste too much time uh, just blabbering on myself. So um, without further ado, I I mean, let's just get straight into the podcast. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Um, And I mean, okay, let me first introduce who I've got here on the podcast. So I have three lovely people from the Lyft campaign, um, and they do some very, very important work, which we're going to be chatting about today um, on getting uh, the travel ban to North Korea lifted. Um, And for those that don't know, there is a travel ban for U.S. citizens that go to go to North Korea. So this has been um, on since uh, 2017, July 2017, if I'm not mistaken. But um, you guys might correct me in a minute. And they do very, very important work on that. So um, I am going to pass the floor over to them for a bit of a deeper introduction. First on yourselves, and then we'll get into the Lyft podcast. So Becca, do you want to go first? Hi, uh, my name is Becca Yang, and I am a a member of the LIFT campaign, which stands for Let Individuals Freely Travel. Um, I've been part of the campaign for the past year and a half, and I'll pass it to Jian Ya. Okay, Um, my name is Jian Ya. I'm also with the LIFT campaign, and I'm situated um, in the Chicago area. Um, In my in my private life, I'm a professor of history and Asian American studies at Northwestern. Beautiful. And Ju do you want to go next? Yeah. Hi, my name is Ju Yun. Uh, not the Ji Yun. <laughs> Our names are very familiar. So similar. <laughs> um, I'm a member of Nodutor, which is also part of a, a lift campaign. Um yeah, we have been working uh, with one another, I guess, over the last couple of years about how to like you know, lift the travel ban of the U.S. because my organization has a, a program that visits North Korea and South Korea at the same time. 
So it has been uh the travel ban has been affecting us so uh so much. So that our program had to stop. So that's one of the drive that why we are I am in involved with the lift campaign. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for your introduction. I just muted myself there accidentally. No, <laughs> that was unmuted. Um, so uh, I want to get pretty much straight into the lift campaign and what you guys are kind of about. But um, before I do that, I just want to make sure that um, for those who, listeners that don't know, I think one of the common misconceptions about the travel ban, weirdly enough, is that um, most people think that it's from the North Korea side that um, U.S. citizens are banned to go to North Korea. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, North Korea doesn't want U.S. people to go there. North Korea doesn't want South Koreans to go there and stuff like that. And I mean, South Koreans is a whole different topic. Um, but in terms of North Koreans, it's very much on the U.S. side and it's it's a travel ban by um from the US, right? So I just want to um clarify that for for those listeners um who have um who were unsure about that. And I also do want to say as well, um, this bit will not make the cut if we decide to not video it. But for those who are currently listening to the podcast, you can currently watch it on YouTube as well um, and see all of our faces. Um so maybe, Gion, do you want to kick us off uh, with an introduction on um, on the Lyft campaign? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just want to tell a little bit more about the travel ban. Um, it was instituted in August of 2017, right? And what it does is it forbids U.S. citizens from traveling to North Korea on a U.S. passport, right? Um, it has some um, exceptions so that you can apply for a special validation passport to travel to North Korea under certain circumstances, right? If you're a humanitarian aid worker and you have a history of working in North Korea, you can apply. Um, if you think that your travel to North Korea has something to do with U.S. national security interests, you can apply. The reality is that the application is extremely cumbersome and very few people, including very few humanitarian aid workers with long histories of working in North Korea have received permission to go. So in effect, the travel ban is virtually, well, close to 100% um, because of the difficulty of getting a special validation passport to go. Um, the Lyft campaign, we started in January of 2021. Our first meeting actually was on Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. And we started out as a um, kind of committee sort of organization focused on the travel ban and trying to get the State Department to lift the travel ban. The travel ban expires every year in August. It has to be renewed. And so our goal was to either get the State Department to um, lift the travel ban or to quietly let it expire. So far, we have not been successful. Um, we started out as a joint collaboration among a variety of national organizations that have been working on um, Korea peace issues. Um, we are now an independent organization. And we still draw most of our membership from the organizations that we originally collaborated with. 
Um, we meet twice a month and we have done a variety of public education and advocacy work. So um, meetings with State Department officials and on the Korea desk, um, sending letters to the State Department, um, uh, organizing public presentations, social media presentations on the travel ban and on, you know, the the specific constituencies that really need to travel to North Korea, including humanitarian aid workers and, of course, separated family members, Korean Americans who have relatives that they haven't seen since the Korean War in North Korea. I think that's a really, thank you for the great introduction. And I think that's a really important point as well. Like most of the people who kind of maybe listen to my podcast or follow me on social media know North Korea in terms of its um, tourism context. But actually, uh, when we're talking about the travel ban, you know, of course, tourism is an issue. And I still fully believe um, that tourism does great things for the country, um, does great things both inside and outside. But there is a much bigger issue here in terms of, you know, humanitarian aid um, and, you know, people um, separated from the war and stuff like that, family members. So um, I think that's important to, for everyone to remember when we're talking about the importance of the travel ban um, and lift, getting it lifted. We're not just talking about Americans who want to visit North Korea as tourists. Um, this, this issue is, um, is a much wider issue. Um, and um, and I just want to say as well, um, because I forgot to kind of say at the start. So for me, like how I found you guys um, and how this this podcast kind of happened is because I actually listened to a podcast. It was probably about six months ago now because I listen to podcasts whenever I'm running. I just listen to tons of podcasts. And I was listening to one. Um, I think it was NK News um, and Women Cross the DMZ were on there. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is like super cool, like, you know, women involved in like North Korean activism and stuff. Um, and um, and then I started to, you know, I got in touch with them and asked what I could do, what I could get involved with. Um, and then um, for those that don't know Women Cross DMZ, maybe I'll put like a kind of link in the show notes so you guys can read upon more. But um from then I kind of got involved in the lift campaign and for listeners. Um, so I actually, I've been part of some of the meetings and stuff like that um, and kind of involved in that way. So that's been very nice to kind of be involved and even nicer to have you guys on this podcast. So <laughs> thanks for joining that. Um, I don't know, Becca, did you want to, um, did you have something that you want to kind of expand in terms of like, travel ban and, and sanctions and stuff like that? Sure. Uh, yeah, first of all, um, Zoe, thanks so much for having us on your podcast. I think it's really exciting for us to be able to talk about this issue um, to a different audience. Um, like Gian was saying, um, a lot of the folks that we have worked with so far have mostly been within like the humanitarian sphere and then also divided family members. Um, so being able to talk about this with folks who are just interested in traveling um, and also emphasizing the importance of just civilian and people to people exchanges um, is super important. And yeah, I think there are a lot of really important reasons why people would want to travel to North Korea um, that are both very personal, um, others that are maybe more political um, that are involved in this issue. Um, but yeah, I guess one thing that I wanted to, I did want to say is um, kind of like you mentioned, um, tourism is a really important part of uh, North Korean North Korean economy. 
Um, and obviously because of the travel ban, um, U.S. citizens aren't able to travel to North Korea. Um, so that really does uh, block a lot of important trade that could be happening through travel. Um, and we do really see it as like a form of economic sanctions that are um, affecting trade in North Korea. Um, and even though the majority of tourists in North Korea have been from China, um, not the U.S., um, the travel ban also does have a bearing on the way that humanitarian assistance is delivered. Um, so in that way, it really does have, um, you know, this kind of other, uh, this other way that it's affecting just everyday people. Um, yeah, and then I guess speaking for a little bit from my own personal experience and why um, I'm interested in the campaign, um, I come from a divided family. So my grandfather, he was born in what is now considered North Korea. And when he was around seven or eight years old um, was when he had to flee um, as a refugee during the war. Um, and it was actually only more recently that I learned that um, my great grandfather, so his father was able to travel to North Korea in 1989 for the first time. Um, and just being able to talk with, about this with my grandfather and seeing these like pictures from this exchange and also reading some of the letters that um, he received through his father from his aunts and uncles, um, it really made me want to be able to go and visit and also to be able to go with my grandfather. Um, but you know, now he is 80 something years old and for this older generation, time really is running out. So that's why we see it as a really urgent issue. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll stop there. Yeah, definitely. I think um, those are all good points. Yeah, go on, Jian. Yeah, um, you know, I think that's just so important what Becca has been talking about. Um, and I wonder, it might be useful to take a look at what kind of um, travel and civilian exchanges have been possible before the travel ban was imposed in 2017, right? So, first of all, we had general tourism. Right. So just ordinary Americans could go to um, North Korea and they did. Right? And what you have then is you have direct civilian to civilian, to civilian contact. And you also have direct experience of North Korea, traveling to North Korea, staying in hotels, just seeing North Korea for yourself as a counter to hearsay. Because basically so much of what we see in the media then and now about North Korea is mostly hearsay, right? Um, and so just having ordinary Americans, people like your next door neighbor, going to North Korea and experiencing the country for themselves is just hugely important, right? It broadens perspectives, it offers diversity of, of views. And a lot of travelers also, right? Um, because it has been the age of social media, have posted um, Instagram posts, uh, YouTube videos, all kinds of things with video and photographs from their travels in North Korea talking about, you know, whatever it is, right? Just a range of views. And if you, if you um, do a search on YouTube, for example, you know, Americans in North Korea or Americans traveling in North Korea, you just get tons and tons of videos who, and they talk about all kinds of things and they're people from all kinds of political backgrounds and political you know, perspectives and viewpoints. And it's just really, really interesting. You don't have that anymore because Americans can't go, right? You also had some really interesting culture exchanges. So for example, in February of 2008, 
New York Philharmonic went to Pyongyang and they performed Wagner, Dvorak, Gershwin, Korean folk songs. And it was just an amazing kind of performance. And the Philharmonic musicians and staff and um, concert goers, um, you know, in Pyongyang kind of got to know each other a little bit, right? And that's just really amazing um, to be able to show off, you know, the kind of American, you know, uh, orchestra music in Pyongyang. Like that's pretty amazing, right? And then of course, for people who are sports fans, basketball player Dennis Rodman went to North Korea multiple times. Right, um, met with the North Korean leader, um, helped train the North Korean national basketball team, um, was covered by all kinds of, of American media and North Korean media. And yeah, I mean, he's funny. He, he wants to take, you know, he, he's a huge attention grabber, um, kind of a prankster in a lot of ways. But what he did though was also brought a lot of attention to North Korea and showed a different aspect of North Korea to the American public through that media exposure, right? You also had a lot of medical and science projects, scientific exchanges. So for example, um, uh, Dr. Key Park of Harvard Medical School uh, really put together a surgical training program where he and other doctors went to North Korea um, to the medical schools and uh, trained uh, medical students and current doctors in North Korea in the latest surgery techniques, right? So that's really important, right, in terms of, um, you know, helping bring the latest medical technology to North Korea. You also had humanitarian aid projects headed by Americans. So Joy and Stephen Yoon um, spent 10 years living in North Korea running a foundation, Ignis Foundation, that ran um, clinics in every single province of North Korea. And they were, they're really the only humanitarian aid organization that was able to have a presence in every single province in North Korea. And they were able to do that because they lived there for 10 years, they traveled throughout the country, they, had con they, they developed a network in every single province of North Korea. And then in 2017, they were forced to leave. Right. Um, and now their organization, you know, it's really hard to do the kind of work that they were doing because they're not on the ground in North Korea anymore. Um, and of course, you had a lot of family reunions between Korean Americans and their long lost relatives in North Korea. So what I heard back from people who had spoken with the North Korean envoy in New York um, about this issue was that during the years when um, Americans could travel to North Korea before 2017, anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 or so Americans um, went, to the, went through the envoy seeking permission to go to North Korea. And about half of them were Korean American separated family members. So we're talking at least about 500 Korean American separated family members going to North Korea searching for possibly meeting their long lost family members. All of that no longer possible, right? Yeah. My father was born in North Korea. He left um, older brothers and uh, sisters-in-law and nephews and nieces in North Korea, which means I have relatives in North Korea now, right? 
um, we're not able to go and, and see them. And that's, that's really a tragedy, it's a family tragedy. And when you think about how the United States as a culture and society puts so much emphasis on family, family values and family reunion, um, how is it that American law can prevent Korean Americans from reuniting with their family members? Yeah, I think you you bring up uh, two very big good points there. Gion, did you want to say something on that before I cut in? No, no, no. I was just gonna say that not only it benefits the the Korean Americans who has a family, but also I think it benefits the U.S. in general, U.S. public in general. It benef it's a beneficial for the U.S. the American community society to understand. You know that it's people living out there. They are the same, similar people. And you know, a, a lot of times when I um, Google like North Korea, it's it's a very outdated information. There is a certain intentions out there. Like people are still dying. Or why would the food aid? Why would South Korea send an eight million food aid to North Korea? That would be the, on the top of the search. And with this fear. That you know, we our knowledge or like our our ways of communication, our ways of thinking about the world and peace cannot really grow and blossom. I mean, there is a lot of ways. I mean, when when as Jian said, there was a lot of exchanges going back and forth. The North Korean women taekwondo players came and they did like you know a almost a sort of like kind of a concert looking like, you know, demonstrations and they were really cool. And and then also there were soccer players who came and then, you know, did a, 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 some games and, and World Cups and, you know, other things. And we all went and then we cheered. And there is a lot of benefits from the cultural exchanges and having a country blocking like even the to preventing our own like you know US public to be the opportunity to go if we want to find out by ourselves. I think that is a really an hindrance to you know to our growth and as a as a as a people. Um I myself actually went uh North Korea like in two thousand two on a program and when I first time it was I went, you know South Korea and North Korea is technically um they are not uh the, the citizens of South Koreans are not allowed to go to North Korea because they are in in a constitution like you know South Koreans are not allowing or like South Korea is uh defining North Korea as an enemy state. But there's nothing like that in the US though, right? We are still at war and then the war has to end actually. The war has not ended since two thousand, I mean nineteen fifty-three. And we are going into a 70th year anniversary of the armistice. So ceasefire has been lasting like 70 years. What kind of ceasefire is that? I mean, that's one of the reasons. Uh, but anyway, because of that, I learned when I was a child, I used to draw like North Koreans uh, when there is an anti-communist, like, you know, posters that there is a con national contest. I used to draw them with the horns and, you know, I didn't think there were people. So when in 2002, after the sunshine policy of Kim Dae-jung, that I decided, you know, we decided to go and, and just to see it for ourselves. 
And when I first went, it was really a scary affair. I have to say, like, you know, it was a roller coaster because I didn't know what to believe. And then, am I seeing the truth or, you know, is this what it is or are they lying to me? There were so many things that was on my mind. It almost gave me an, an epiphany about, like, you know, learning a really deep learning about what I, who I am and what I believe in. It was a really a great opportunity for me to examine myself, actually. Whether, why do I have this much of fear? Why can't I believe what they say? Like, was there a really a certain other hidden motives? But about me, why? I'm a very, 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 very small fish in a pond, right? So then, you know, why would I think people would be staged on the street only for me to look at? I mean, you know, that's a little bit of blown out, like, ego, I guess, problems. But a lot of people believe that. And they are, like, it's a huge, like, showcase city. Like, you know. Uh, and then so I went back again, and I went back again, and I went back again. Um, and I'm realizing more and more commonality as a Koreans. Like, there is a lot of strong cultural, like, you know, um, similarities. They are very pure and very straightforward people who does not under who does not really know how to sugarcoat their words, you know, what they don't like, they say they don't like. Um, it's really an interesting ex exchange. So I, I lead a delegation oftentimes. Like our organization organizes a delegation to North Korea of the Korean Americans who does not really have a deeper like a roots or connections or families. It's not like a family trip, but this for us, it's like finding our own roots or like, you know, rediscovering or reorienting homeland type of thing. And because most of us think that, you know, only South Korea is our homeland. And then, you know, North Korea and South Korea used to be a one country and they are a one country that is divided by the foreign forces is what we are saying. So it has a lot to do with our history of war, history of division, you know, and then also our earning, yearning to connect with our roots. And I think in that way that, um, though, in order for us to end the war um, between DPRK and be between DPRK and US, I think, you know, us being able to go and see it ourselves, and us, this, this, this people to people exchange to happen, allowing that happen, and then allowing all this cultural exchange to happen is a really important step for us to build a peace, like a permanent peace. And yeah. you know, to mm -hmm. add to what, to what Kyuyeon has been saying, um, like two points. One is, you know, Currently, and since the Korean War, North Korea has been um, sort of held out as a quote unquote rogue nation, you know, an enemy of the United States. Um, Accessible evil. You know, a, a fearsome nuclear power, et cetera, right? Right, right. Um, but, you know, there was a time when Cuba kind of held that position vis a vis the United States, right? With the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I know the fear of the Soviet Union 
being behind Cuba and using Cuba as a way to attack the United States, et cetera, right? And there was a travel ban, right? The United States forbid American citizens from traveling to Cuba. But then what happened was the Cold War ended, um, you know, Cuba was no longer really a threat. The Soviet Union wasn't the same. Russia isn't the same kind of threat that the Soviet Union was during the Cold War. Um, and now the United States still has on paper a travel ban, right, forbidding American citizens from traveling to Cuba. But there is a list of a dozen exceptions. Everything from research and professional networking to humanitarian aid to religious reasons to family reunification to a support for the Cuban people catch-all category. And you don't have to apply for permission when you book on United, for example, to go to Cuba. You just have to tell them what's your reason for going to Cuba and you say support for the Cuban people and that's it. You can go on Airbnb and you can book an Airbnb apartment or house, whatever you need before you get to Cuba. And when you book, they will ask you, what's your reason for going? And you just say support for the Cuban people. And you are supporting the Cuban people because when you book an Airbnb, you're instead of a hotel, right? You're actually supporting the livelihood of ordinary Cuban people, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I was in Cuba in January, and what I saw there was so interesting. a lot of South Americans, a lot of Europeans, a lot of Canadians, and quite a few Americans, right? Um, uh, just tourism. Tourism in Havana, tourism in Varadero. Varadero remains ranked the second most amazing, beautiful beach in the world and remains a highly valued resort destination, particularly for other South Americans. Um, and it's it's a, a bustling, really interesting place. And it's nothing like the stereotypes of Cuba that we still have in the United States. Okay? Is that is that and, something that you'd want to aim for, for the travel ban for North Korea? Like, do you think that it could work on like this kind of Cuba model where it's a de facto, it's a absolutely. ban? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Because I think, right, what utility does the travel ban have for the United States? Right? Does it increase our national security interests? Does it make the United States safer? I would say actually no, in some ways it makes it makes things more dangerous because it prevents Americans from experiencing North Korea for themselves, right? And, you know, Americans who go and they experience Cuba, you know, sometimes um, even if their ideas about, you know, a communist country remain unchanged, what they do see is that the people are just people, just like us, right? They have families, they love their children, they go to school, they, you know, they're, they're entrepreneurial. And the entrepreneurship, despite Cuba being a communist country, is encouraged, it's all over the place. So, you know, they're people just like us. And I think that when Americans were allowed to go to North Korea, Americans, ordinary Americans going there as tourists were seeing 
that North Koreans are people just like us, right? Just like Americans of any background. And now we can't do that, right? So travel and tourism, when it's done well, can really help to foster, you know, intercultural, multicultural understanding and better understanding promotes peace. And peace is actually the most stable road to national security. War is not, does not help national security at all, right? War means that our young people are sent out by elderly generals in the you know, Pentagon. They're sent out to die. For what? Um, if we work, walk the path of peace instead, we would be able to have much more stable national and international security, and we would be able to foster friendship across cultural board boundaries, across you know, national boundaries. And the United States has a long history of wanting to foster friendship across national boundaries. The Fulbright Fellowship Program, right, funded by taxpayer dollars is a prime example of that belief. What's a Fulbright Fellowship? You get Fulbright Fellows from other countries coming to the United States. You get American citizens getting Fulbright Fellowships going to other countries. And the whole point is not really doing research or teaching. The point is civilian ambassadorship. The point is you know, people around the world come to the United States, experience the United States, go back to their countries and tell their countrymen how wonderful America is. And Americans go overseas, experience cultures and countries overseas, everything from South Korea to England, to Eastern Europe, to Africa, to Latin America, et cetera. And they come back to the United States and they tell their friends and neighbors and colleagues how wonderful, how interesting that other country is. And all of this civilian ambassadorship fosters international understanding and it fosters peace. United States has a history of believing that and acting on that. United States should act on that belief for North Korea as well. Yeah. It's funny how um, I think when it comes to North Korea, like we just, that seems to be where we draw the line. And I think the reason is, is because, you know, we don't see it as a country where these kind of, you know, relationships can be fostered and cultures can be exchanged and stuff like that, because it's so kind of dehumanized in in the media. And it's, you know, in our perspectives, you're like, oh, can't talk to crazy North Koreans and stuff. But for sure, totally. And, you know, it's so funny, because I've never, um, I'd I'd never heard about the Fulbright thing before um obviously i'm from the uk and stuff but my roommate at university she's actually here um in taiwan on the fulbright like on a fulbright scholarship so super interesting and yeah i mean everything that um you guys are saying about um cultural exchange and stuff it just really highlights how important it is you know to to not see the north koreans as these kind of people that are not people you know and there's they're so caught up in the politics um and it's very easy to forget um that you know there are people that go on with normal lives and they are affected by things like this um and um 
Jiyeon, you made me laugh when you said um, that uh, the the Koreans, they don't sugarcoat things because that is like a perfect way to describe. To be fair, it's a perfect way to describe a lot of like Koreans in general, but the Koreans for sure, like the North Koreans so many times, um, you know, I'll turn up and they're like, hey, you got fat, you need to lose some weight. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's it's just... I don't take it personally. I'm just like, okay, you said what you needed to say. It was obviously you were meaning it to be like a caring remark or like, you know, I, I've had an exchange where, um, you know, we were on the bus back to the hotel and one of the guides has, has, you know, had me for a serious conversation and said, listen, Zoe, you know, you're not young anymore. I think you need to start seriously thinking about like getting married and having a baby soon. And I'm like, <laughs> I appreciate the care. Um, but it's, it's these kind of exchanges and the sports diplomacy in terms of Dennis Rodman and um, and stuff like that that really um, help to rehumanize the North Korean issue, which then, as Jion was then saying, then in a bigger picture can help lead to peace. These little things, they all work together to to kind of help lead to peace. Um and yeah, I, just from, from what you were saying before, Jion, with Cuba, um, it's really interesting because like, I mean, I think we might have spoken about it um, uh, briefly before, but like, why is it North Korea? I mean, North Korea is not the only country to kind of, um, you know, have bad relations with. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The U.S. Um, and to have incidences where people have been kept in the in North Korea, like kept in a country where U.S. citizens have been um, detained and stuff like that. So why is the travel ban still on North Korea now? What do we, you know, is there any reasons why it's not any other country? Well, I think I think Juyan actually um, hit on the answer, which is. Um, the Korean War ended with a ceasefire, an armistice, in July of 1953. And that armistice was supposed to be transformed and reworked, renegotiated into a peace treaty um, within a few years. That never happened. And so we have a ceasefire that is now 70 years old, no peace agreement, and that means that the United States and North Korea are still at war. And the United States um, knows this. So U.S. soldiers deployed in the hundred or so military bases, U.S. military bases in South Korea, receive varying types of combat pay. Right? And North Korea is very aware of this because during the Korean War, 
practically every square foot of North Korea was bombed to pieces by U.S. fighter jets. And North Korea understands the kind of utter devastation that a war can bring. And they understand that an armistice is not a peace treaty. And therefore, the United States, the U.S. president can bomb North Korea anytime he wants without going through congressional approval because there is no peace treaty. Right? But also because there's no peace treaty, the United States does not, does not have a embassy consular presence in North Korea. Um, and so the U.S. State Department has decided that because of that, Americans shouldn't travel to North Korea. Right? Because if Americans get, get into trouble in North Korea, then there's nobody, there's no American council person uh, on the ground in North Korea to to help out. Well, you know, there's no travel ban to places like Afghanistan, right? And there's yeah, currently, you know, there's there's really no significant consular presence um, in Afghanistan either. There are places that are hot conflict military war zones right now where mm -hmm. Americans they're advised not to travel, but they're not banned from traveling. So there is this kind of uh, contradiction where places that are far more dangerous, immediately dangerous for Americans are not off limits, but North Korea is off limits primarily for technical and political reasons. I would agree that it is a most more like political benefits. There are some like, like you know, some reasons, I guess, main, to maintain the is a, a conflict somewhere and that let that be on the Korean peninsula. And Korea, is, because we talk a lot about the geopolitical uh, reasons, so I'm not going to bore you or your audience about all these reasons, but right as of right now, like on like March 12, as of like March 12, there is a war drills or like in the military exercises right at the border between South Korea and North Korea. However, the South Korea, um, so between the relationship between South Korea and North Korea, South Korea is not in charge of the relationship building. It's rather the U.S. is directing what the relationship should be. And you know that South Korea does not even have a, a military operational control at the time of war, right? In peacetime, it was a transferred back in 1997, finally. But still, like in, at the time of war, wartime operational control is with the U.S. general, four-star general. So there is a lot of reason, historical and you know geopolitical reasons, I guess, to maintain that battle zone. But as a uh, what do we call that? Conscientious citizens or responsible citizens of the U.S. I think we should demand to the state to do the right thing and you know let let the individuals really travel to where we want and then you know let us be do the do our what I we want to build a peace and to create a certain like you know citizen civil dis diplomacy um and you know we are willing to do that I and mean, there are Korean Americans who have who are positioned and with the, with the accountability, I think, to, to do that job really, like, willingly. 
but it just it, it's a band and it's just we are, we are kept in our country um and you know we cannot make a connections to the home country is not there i think you know when uh ho chi minh at the time that the south i mean the us was at war with the vietnam ho chi minh was also like very uh considered in, in like time magazine portraying him like a very devilish like you know uh uh a a feature and then there were a lot of caricature like you know portraying like as a devil um just like what we are only focusing on the leadership of north korea but north korea that to to what how many tian 28 million people are living in north korea and they are you know it could be my family like you know i guess three degrees removed or whatever but you know it's it's just my neighbor here in 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 you know in the in the bundaks in new jersey but you know just people are living there other people are living there there is a system and then there we have to respect and 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 engage and learn from when i was whenever i went i think one year we went we traveled to north korea we sat with these canadian teachers canadian english teachers who were going on vacation to teach english teachers in in pyongyang high school teachers but then you know there are other country other the people from other countries are traveling and engaging and doing all sorts of like you know exchanges where the citizens from the us is kind of like you know we are in a blind pit we we are not really make we making a connection we are not learning and we think what we know is the the rule of the world you know that's a really sad i think yeah i think that's true a, a lot of the times in terms of travel in general um you can learn so much guanjian yeah i mean i'm thinking too right that um there are a lot of countries in europe for example that have um you know opened uh relations with north korea um businesses in europe that are looking around in north korea for business opportunities and joint ventures um and so there's a way in which the united states is a little bit of an outlier in of uh, continuing to uh you know trying to isolate north korea and also in trying to prevent its own citizens from experiencing a country on their own i right? um Now the American the United States is you know a key principle of the United States is freedom right and the right of the American people to do individually what they think is best right so it makes no sense to me that the United States government would prevent its own citizens from traveling wherever they're welcome right i mean if north korea wants to close off and not let people in that's one thing but for the united states to forbid its own citizens from traveling i want to know why is the united states restricting the freedom of its own citizens what is the united states government afraid of and i kind of think that maybe they're afraid of the sort of um wisdom and and um and and open mindedness of american people right like mm. i spent my entire life in the united states um i've met americans from all walks of life as a journalist as an educator as a you know 
um, you know, somebody who's active in local community organizations. And I know how smart Americans are and how open-minded they are and how interested they are in other countries and other peoples and other cultures and how, how sort of logical they are, right? Like they know how to take information and put it together and they know how to separate fact from fiction, propaganda from real news. And the more Americans can experience North Korea for themselves, the more they'll be able to say, have, you know, an informed opinion about the ongoing war with North Korea, right? And the way that the United States spends so much tax money, so much of our taxpayer money on, um, you know, military aggression in Korea, right? Is that really necessary, right? Um, people are gonna have their own opinions about that. And maybe those opinions are gonna be different from what the policymakers and politicians in Washington DC are thinking, you know, like when I was a reporter in um, Nebraska for the Omaha World Herald and I was traveling around the Midwest, Omaha, Wyoming, South Dakota, Kansas, Oklahoma, Iowa, Southern Illinois, um, everybody wanted to know who I was. When I said, oh, I'm Korean American, right? They'd be like, oh, my grandfather, my father, my uncle was in the Korean War, right? Sometimes it was, they died in the Korean War. My managing editor at the newspaper was a Korean War veteran, right? And what I heard from these people again and again was not, oh, it was such a good war, it was necessary. It was, we don't know why we were there. I don't know why my father was in the Korean War. I don't know why my grandfather had to be in the Korean War. I don't know why my uncle went missing in the Korean War. I don't know what the war was for. I don't understand why we were in the war. And so I can't help but think maybe the American government is a little bit afraid of its own citizens. And it's preventing the free, it's, you know, its, citizens, its own citizens from having the freedom to go to a country, look around and make up their own minds. Yeah, I think um, that's one of the things that really surprised me at first, um, in a way, is like when I started thinking about it, I'm like, you know, especially in the climate in the US at the moment, and it, this may be a massive like stereotype and stuff, but like from someone like looking into the US, we see it as a country that's like um, big on freedom and they don't like to be told what to do. Right. Um, and so for me, it was like kind of like, why don't American people care more that they don't that they're not allowed to travel to North Korea. And I guess that's just because there's not so much interest in going to North Korea. Um, but uh, it should be noted that actually when Americans could go to North Korea, they were the biggest tourists. So it's mainly Chinese tourists um, and they never outnumbered the Chinese tourists, but they were like the second biggest market um, uh, going to North Korea. So, you know, there was, there was a big interest there, at least a few hundred um, annually. So, um, yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of um, there is a yeah. lot of also like you know because of the sanctions, the all the economic exchanges or like you know trade are forbidden. So there are so many things that we need to do. But I think the first step that anybody can agree actually is that you know individuals should not be banned or government should not stop us from going to a country. 
um we are not saying like you know there is a battle zone and we would like to walk in and then get get hurt you know so the the more we talk don't you think you would agree that the travel ban has to be lifted <laughs> indeed but it's funny that you should say that because like also in a way like there are countries that you can visit that are in war zones that are in battle zones and you can physically right. visit them there is no travel ban to them so right. for me it's just that interesting context of like you know why is that travel ban still there and stuff um when you can physically walk into war zones if you wanted to not definitely not promoting that um but you know other things are banned Becca, did you want to? Yeah, I guess one factor that's really specific to the case of North Korea that we haven't talked about yet is um, the case of Otto Warmbier, um, which was really what um, pushed the government to take action in instituting the travel ban in 2017. Um, Otto Warmbier was a college student who went to travel to North Korea, um, and um, he when he was there, he was, I think, part of some tour tour guide group, um, but he, um, you know, didn't follow all of the rules that had been communicated through the tour, tour guide agency. Um, and because of that, he ended up being detained by the government. Um, and so a lot of the reasons that the U.S. government now gives for the reason why the travel ban is being upheld is to avoid... Um, American citizens from being detained in a similar way um, and also being used as political leverage. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, that is kind of a specific context of the the, the U.S. ban to North Korea um, that is like quite specific. Um, but, you know, there is all of this other geopolitical and historical background that informs why it's continued to be upheld and the way that that case has kind of been um yeah, kind of been informing this, like, and uh, kind of strengthening this backdrop of just, like, you know, increasing maximum pressure um, against North Korea on the part of the U.S. Um, and, yeah, this overall approach of, you know, not allowing any kind of engagement between just ordinary people um, in both of our countries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as you all know, Americans have been detained and jailed. Um, and convicted of crimes in other countries, and the United States has not instituted a travel ban, right? Like most recently, we had a uh, you know a, a WNBA basketball player, right, um, detained in where was it in Russia, right? And the United States had to exchange a um, you know a Russian really kind of terrible arms dealer type person in exchange for the basketball player, right? That's a kind, that's a huge political cost to the United States. Um, but nobody is saying that we should be banning travel to Russia and preventing Americans from going to Russia, right? Even though the United States paid a big political price, um, swapped a major international criminal for a basketball player. Right. Um, so the United States is not consistent in its own rhetoric and its own behavior around uh, what it does for, around, um, you know, U.S. citizens travel and the problems that happen when Americans break the law in other countries and are detained by those countries. Right. So that kind of um, 
I don't know, double speak in a way is possible, I think, because people are like, oh, Russia, why would we have a travel ban there? But with North Korea, the country is painted as being such a rogue nation, outlier, um, that people are like, oh, yeah, sure, it make, maybe it makes sense. I mean, they don't really think about comparing the situation to the way the United States treats other countries and where Americans have been detained. Um, Americans who have been detained in North Korea, all of them, uh, you know, have, have broken North Korean laws for the, and most of them um, uh, are returned safely, right? So if you think about, I, I saw somebody, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I saw somebody had done um, a sort of analysis of um, the number of people who had been detained in North Korea and sort of showed that North Korea actually was a very, very safe place to travel. Americans tend not to be detained in North Korea, contrary to you know, the image that mm -hmm. is, was left by the Otto Warmbier case. Yeah, um, so the Otto Warmbier case, um, I actually talk about it um, in a bit more depth. I think in I can't remember what episode it is, but it's um, an episode that I do on ethical tourism to North Korea, um, one of the earlier episodes. So if um, anyone listening wants to go and listen to that, um, then I do talk about that a little bit in depth. Um, but uh, yeah, Gian, just you said, you know, North Korea is a safe place to travel. And I, I argue definitely for the fact that it is a safe place to travel. And one of the things that I always say is that it's safer than traveling to my home city, which is Liverpool. Um, and I don't know if Liverpool has a reputation in the US. Um, actually, most of my listeners are from the US. So I don't know if anyone really understands what I'm saying when I talk about Liverpool being really terrifying. But like, um, you know, I love Liverpool, but it's a, it's a pretty dangerous city in the UK and it has quite the reputation. Um, so, um, yeah, I will always say it's, it's safer than traveling to Liverpool. Um, I, I don't know. Um, we don't have much, too much time left. Um, and I kind of wanted to ask some more questions about we've kind of got super deep into some things, um, but I kind of wanted to um, ask a couple more questions about Lyft. I don't know. Do you guys have to run off or do you have a few more minutes? <laughs> You're OK. Um, so I was wondering how, um, let's start with how you guys got involved with Lyft, actually. Um, I'm just, maybe you could tell me in like a couple of sentences why you started, uh, you know, being involved. What does it mean to you? Um, Becca, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. I talked about this a little bit earlier, um, but for me, it's like a very personal reason, right, yeah. um, personal, I guess also political, but um, yeah, I guess as someone who comes from a divided family, um, I definitely have a, a personal stake in seeing the travel ban lifted um, so that I can, you know, visit my family's homeland um, in our hometown. Yeah. Um, and I also want to make it possible for other divided families to reunite, which is why um, I think that, you know, banding together with other people who also have an interest in seeing the travel ban lifted um, and taking part in this collective action is really important. Whereabouts um, is your hometown, like your family background? Exactly. Um, I Do don't you know? know exactly the name of the village that my grandfather is from, but I know he's from Pyongan. Oh, uh, Pyongan. Nice. Cool. And Jian, how about you? Um, well, similar to Becca, you know, I grew up hearing stories about North Korea and the Korean War and just 
life in the northern part of Korea before division because my father is from there. Um, and so I got interested in Korea peace and reunification issues through that family connection. But the more I got involved in the issue, the more I really recognized that this is a American policy issue, right? And that the after effects, the legacies of the Korean War, how damaging they are for America as a nation and for Americans as, as a people and as individuals. Right? Everything from the, you know, the carnage of the war, the missing in action and the unresolved uh, you know, issue of, of the remains of soldiers for surviving families to the huge amount of money that um, U.S. taxpayers are paying for a U.S. military presence in South Korea that is really, you know, we're on kind of like a hair trigger for war. And maybe the Korean people don't quite understand it because the Korean War was not fought on U.S. soil. But, you know, Americans went to Korea and they died. Why should Americans have to go to Korea and die again? Right? Like, for what reason? It's not helpful for Americans, certainly, but it's also not helpful for, for Koreans either. Okay? So the Korean War and the issue of peace and reunification, for me, is not just a Korean issue or a Korean-American issue, but very much an American issue. It's central to American policy. Um, and as a historian also, what's interesting to me is that we talk about the military industrial complex and a lot of people think, oh, it's World War II. Actually, it's not. It's really the Korean War that solidified the military industrial complex in the United States, right? Um, and really solidified um, American military commitment to having military bases all around the world, allegedly for US national security interests, but, and allegedly as a bulwark against communism, right? But now in 2023, 70 years after um, the Korean War armistice, you know, several decades after the fall of the Soviet Union, right? The Cold War is really long gone. Why are we still doing this, right? It has no benefit for the American people, really. So, so for me, um, what started out as a personal family interest in the Korean War and Korea peace reunification has really evolved into an understanding of that issue as a American issue and as a global peace issue. That's really interesting. Thank you. And Gion, for you, what does um, lifting the campaign mean? Um, I guess it's... Uh... I want to go back and meet with the people that I met before. My last time was 2013. And then my organization last time was 2017, right after they came back. And then the, the van was instituted and then we will never be able to go back. So 2018, I was supposed to go and then, you know, I couldn't go. And I just listened to some of the, um, like North Korea series lecture about the current, you know, scientific 
development and you know consumer goods how what's the new and this uh, Berlin University has a North Korea department where they invite all these uh, people who has an access you know the people from China or people from Japan and then you know they they show us a, a all that development and talk about it and I want I I would like to go I would really like us like you know, my friends to go or my members of my organization to be able to go and visit them and see themselves because it's a lot. When you you know when you travel outside and abroad, I think um, it puts you, you yourself in, into a perspective of how how you have been taking things granted or the way that you believe it's right is not right to other people. You know, it's it's a really learning. So it's um, I guess mine is also like very personal. But I, I also agree with the Chian that, you know, knowing more and more about my history, my own roots, and, you know, why we are here, who we are, like that puts me into a, a yearning about, like, you know, uh, we want to do something. We want to change something. Um, I, I need to go with the, the right flow of the history, not the wrong flow of the history, wrong turn of the history. So, yeah. That's how I joined this um, campaign. Beautiful. Thank you. And um, I think Gion mentioned a really important thing before um, about how, um, you know, it's a passport ban, right? It's not like you can't ban like a person, you ban a passport, right? And I've actually taken in a few American people and a few South Korean people who travel on different passports to North Korea. And seeing those exchanges is something really beautiful. Um, the American people, like, uh, usually they're traveling on some other different passport and they're usually terrified at first, like, oh, should I tell them I'm American? I'm like, the North Koreans don't care. <laughs> they're fine with it, whatever. Um, and then once they get in, they're like, oh yeah, it's super chill. Um, but the the Koreans, the South Koreans that come in, on different passports is always a beautiful exchange at first they're they're nervous and then um the north koreans are also nervous and they don't know if they should speak korean to each other and then by the end of the trip they're best friends um chatting away and you can't get a minute in with them so it's always a really nice beautiful exchange um yeah finally before we go because i know everyone's probably uh, needing to run off in terms of lift um i'm just wondering kind of maybe you could talk for just a couple of minutes on like how the experience has been so far, what the reception has kind of been like, any people that you work with, what you've achieved so far, any goals in the future, and then finally, um, how people can help, how people can join. Becca, I wonder if you could Becca. talk a little bit about some of the things that we're planning for this year. Sure. Um, <laughs> the hat <past laughs> has been passed to me. Um, but yeah, I guess... Um, as Gian was saying earlier, we have been focusing a lot on public education efforts. Um, and so in the past year, um, that has looked like webinars. Um, we had one webinar with um, authors Grace Cho and Carrie Pak, um, who were talking about um, their own work and how it relates to efforts to lift the travel ban. Um, we also had a fun cook-along event that happened earlier this past year um, on Chuseok. And this upcoming year, um, we're in the midst of planning for um, a film series, um, still in the early stages, so we can definitely share more information um, once we're read ready to publicize that. But that's something that we're also very excited about. Um, and I guess in terms of how people can help, um, firstly, if you're interested 
in joining the campaign, um, please email us. Um, our email address is letindividualsfreelytravel at gmail.com. Um, if you'd like to help with donating to the campaign, especially with some of the events that we have going on this year, um, you can Venmo us at, um, at lift underscore campaign. Um, and lastly, if you want to follow us on Instagram, um, we have an Instagram account at the same address as our email. So that's at let individuals freely travel. Um, so yeah, if there are other ways that, that anybody is interested in getting involved, definitely feel free to shoot us an email. I'll put all of those details in the in the show notes as well, so everyone can just kind of click to them and find them easily. Thank you. Did anyone want to add add anything else on that? <laughs> I mean, no. I feel like we only just scratched the surface of stuff. Gion, did you want to? No, no. I was just uh, had a question about. So you said you are from Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah. Liverpool. No, I just you know you you met. You saw the movie called uh, Games of Their Lives, right? Yeah, that's Middlesbrough. Yeah. 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 Kind of north, kind of, I guess. <laughs> Same. Yeah, Not so London, Liverpool anyway. From there. <laughs> and then when, when I went to North Korea, they, we talked about that uh, movie too. Like some of the people who uh, were the soccer players then were talking about the Liverpool still. Like, oh, really? Like 10 years ago. Yeah, Liverpool's a big, uh, big city for football and stuff. So that's how yeah. people know it. Either football or the Beatles. That's where ah, the Beatles are from. Beatles too, right? That's right. That's Claims right. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything yeah. else that we want to add? Yeah, you know, just as somebody who's a former journalist and currently, you know, a historian and educator, I just really believe in the importance of having direct experience but also multiple perspectives and multiple voices. And so for me, the bottom line is that the more people directly experience North Korea for themselves, the more voices, the more perspectives, the more narratives we're going to have about North Korea and North Korean people. And the more narratives and more voices we have, the greater, more well-rounded, more in-depth understanding we're going to have between Americans and North Koreans. Right. And that's, you know, regardless of what the countries are doing, that kind of people to people exchange and understanding is really a good thing. It broadens everybody's perspectives and it really helps to lay the foundation for a much more solid and long lasting peace. Um, and I feel like, you know, mutual understanding and peace is something that everybody can get you know, can get behind. Yeah. And travel to North Korea is certainly a very personal thing. I think um, what I've taken away from this, me, for me personally, what I've taken away from this is that, you know, all of you guys got involved through very personal experiences and I got involved through it through my personal experiences in North Korea. And I, whenever I travel there, that's my personal experience. And I am you know, I put out my narrative out there. But I think it's a super important point, Gion, that you make is that, you know, as many narratives, we need to get as many as we do out there, because at the moment, we only have like one, and that's the media narrative, right? And it's about building those different narratives. I'm not saying that my narrative is correct, or your narrative or whoever's, but you know, as long as we build up and stuff like that, then we can get so many different perspectives. And and that's a really important thing, because at the end of the day, it's it's, it's quite a personal thing. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Then what's personal is political. So, yes. you know, I, I just want to say that to add to Jiyeon, I do think that people have something in it that, you know, we need to act. When we see something which is not correct, we need to act on it, you know. If yeah. we just know it and then you know, we let it pass. Um, you know, there is a saying about the, the last person standing, right? So if we become silent about all of these things that is happening, some people, quote unquote, over there, then, you know, that's something that is going to happen to me and no one will be standing around me anymore. So I think I do hope that, you know, um, your audience will be able to really get yourself involved and you know you don't have to listen or follow us but you can do your own research about different mm-hmm. perspectives and you know do something about it when you yeah. see something quite not right then you know let's do something yeah do you do your own research yeah no need to follow me no need to follow you guys but you know just have a look on google because the the so few people who actually do any research about north korea actually um but just to reiterate, um, I'll just go over your um, your social medias again, how we can help the Lyft campaign and how you can join in if you want to. It's letindividualsfreelytravel at gmail.com. You can donate on Venmo at Lyft underscore campaign and also follow their Instagram page on letindividualsfreelytravel. You can contact me or I'll put these in the show notes, but um, you can also contact me on any of my social medias at Zoe Discovers or at Zoe Discovers NK. Email me on uh discover north korea uh no zoe discovers at gmail.com um if you have any questions also about the lift campaign i can pass you on um thank you so much for being a part of this podcast today it was absolutely wonderful to speak to you and i do as always when i do these podcasts i feel like we only touch the surface but at least at least we touch the surface a little bit um and thank you thank you so much thank you so much thank you so much yeah thank you Zian, and my pleasure <laughs> it was beautiful having you guys on and i'll see you later all right hey bye 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 tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the amazon music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.